This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Recovery Radio. My name is Steve Martirano. We're here to talk about the disease of addiction and the uh, road to recovery. We do it each and uh, each and every week. We, we hope you're finding us uh, one way or another. We are all over the podcast universe. I uh, have been reminded to remind you of that. So look for Recovery Radio. However you access podcasts, you'll find it. And interestingly enough, you got to put my name in the search engine because, unfortunately, there are a few recovery radio programs out there in the blogosphere. So uh, if you're looking for us, if, if that's how you consume media, we're iTunes and uh, Google Listen or a whole bunch of Spotify. So the show is, uh, is well covered in the uh, podcast universe. You can find it there and then listen to it, of course, at your leisure. Well, you would have had to have been living in a cave at this point, not to understand the dimensions of substance abuse and the problems it's causing our society right now in the in the grip of a, just a devastating, devastating opioid epidemic. We're going to take a, take a look today at a specific subset of the group that's affected by this uh, substance abuse problem, uh, a particularly um, heartbreaking and most vulnerable subset of that group, and that is uh, children born to mothers who have been uh, abusing substances. We've been doing programs on pregnancy and substance abuse treatment this month, and we couldn't think of anybody better to bring in to talk about this than an old friend of the program, Dr. Connie Andraco. She has been with us before. Uh, Dr. Andraco is a practicing neonatologist, and she is vice president of medical affairs of on-site neonatal partners, and that's a private physician practice that provides medical services for babies um, in uh, neonatal intensive care units at a bunch of hospitals and in eight states. And she's, as I said, an expert in this field. We welcome uh, Dr. Connie Andreco to uh, the program here on Recovery Radio. Good to see you again, Doc. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. You, 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 when we decided we were going to devote a bunch of the programs this month to this topic, we immediately said, well, get get Dr. Andreco to come back on. Uh, we should begin w- with the broadest view of, of neonatology and uh, its origins and all that. I was so surprised to find out, as I did some reading before I, I did the program here, that um, w- you know, with regard to your field, it's b- almost brand new if you think about thousands of years of, of medicine. Tell us a little bit about the background of neonatology. Sure. Yeah, you're absolutely right. This field really has been around for maybe 50 years, um, which is very young compared to a lot of other fields of of medicine. Um, And interestingly enough, the field actually started, and and it wasn't even directed towards medicine. Um, Back in the 1800s, they developed the the incubator um, to keep babies warm, just little babies, because they actually had them in shows. So they would charge people, um, you know, a couple of cents to come in and see the tiniest baby they've ever seen. And they realized in order to keep those babies alive, they had to provide some heat for them. So that was actually the the first neonatology that was practiced. um, And that really wasn't for medicine. No, and they borrowed the idea, as I understand it, from the uh – Poultry farmers, right? Right. They would warm. They would warm chickens to mm-hmm. keep keep them from producing eggs, and so, so I think it was a French doctor mm-hmm. who said, "You know, we can we can uh, do this." And for those of you who think you this is ancient history, um, those babies that were exhibited 
famously on Coney Island and other places uh, were exhibited up until I think 1960 or 1965, something like that. Mm-hmm. So this is a brand. This is this is a brand new branch of medicine. And the good news in, in the midst of all this bad news about substance abuse is that you and your colleagues in this field have gotten a whole lot better. Absolutely. Um, just with the advancements that we've had and just a lot of breathing treatments, that has tr- helped tremendously. Um, some people can remember that John F. Kennedy had a son that was born at 34 weeks gestation, and he had premature lung disease. And the, the best doctors at the time in the early 60s couldn't keep their son alive. Um, so it's just it's amazing to see, really, it was the 1970s that we started developing these treatments. And, and really, as the, the field has progressed, we realize, um, and we've become a lot more in tune to what babies need. And so we're trying to do that in all of our, our units to provide the best care. Yeah, so the mortality rate it skyrocketed during the, the, the late 20th century. Babies were now not consigned to uh, death. Right. I can still remember um, some of my mentors say they could, re- you know, they would have a 28-week baby, for example, um, a, you know, a, a baby who has a very good chance of living today back in the, even the 1980s said, well, we can't do anything about this. And they would sometimes just place the baby in the corner to die. Mm-hmm. Um, so now we're actually um, resuscitating babies down to even 22, 23 weeks gestation and, and they're surviving. So we, we have come a long way in terms of prematurity. As a branch of medicine and, uh, that you would go um, and study for? How, how old? How, that's relatively new as well, right? It is. And so this is a um, subspecialty out of pediatrics. So people who are neonatologists will do their four years of medical school, three years of pediatric residency, and then three years specializing in just babies. Uh, so let's let's take a macro view of the problem here of substance abuse and pregnancy and then uh, new, newborns. Uh, let, let, I'd like to go through some of the um, dangers of uh, drugs and and pregnancy. Let's let's begin with um, well, let's begin with the obvious. Let's begin with street drugs. Uh, what's the effect of street drugs on the fetus? Right. So there's a lot of different effects that can happen to the baby depending on what type of street drugs a mother is using. I think the the biggest message out there is that whatever mom takes into her body can impact the baby. And depending on when she uses during her pregnancy, for example, if it's during the first trimester, that could really impact a lot of the organ development that's happening. Um, If she's using later in her pregnancy, that can have other effects as well. So it does depend on the, the type of drug and at what point during her pregnancy she was using. Um, And is this across the board, no matter what the substance is, marijuana, cocaine, alcohol, Right. And it, and it also depends on how much a mother is using. So if a mom is smoking marijuana several times a day, every single day, we're seeing effects on those babies after they're, they're born. Wait, I thought marijuana was a miracle cure for everything. It's not good for pregnancy? Um, it is not recommended during pregnancy or breastfeeding. Is that right? Can, can that, can, what, are the, what are the effects on the fetus from marijuana th- through, through mom's milk? Um, through mother's milk, there's here's the the issue. The issue is that we don't have very good studies to say this is exactly what happens. And the studies that we do have actually looked at marijuana from years ago when it wasn't quite as strong as it is today. And so um, people are concerned that it may cause some motor development. So maybe there is a delay in crawling or, or walking. That's probably the most prominent study that's out there. Um, but people are also wondering, could this cause any kind of nerve? developmental 
gentle slowing of the the child, but it, it's a difficult topic to study. Yeah, yeah. As long as the federal government's going to say it's illegal, they won't allow for any studying of it. Um, so we we all got to get on the same page. I know mm-hmm. Mar- we've we've got we've got to impress upon people that marijuana, uh, whatever the, the the virtues of decriminalizing may be, and they're probably uh, enormous. It, it it's not a um, it's it, it's not a an event a eventless drug. Right. And I remind people that alcohol is legal, but we're not encouraging pregnant women to, you know, drink it or moms who are breastfeeding to drink alcohol. So marijuana to me falls into that same category. It can be legal some places, but it it also just remember that's going to impact your child. The same holds true for tobacco, of course, which is another another legal legal substance. Let's talk about prescription drugs. What are some of the effects that that can have on a mom and the baby? Yeah, we can actually see withdrawal symptoms from prescription drugs. And, and people think, my goodness, my doctor prescribed this for me, so then it must be okay. Um, we have moms who come in that maybe, you know, were having, you know, some pain during their pregnancy, and maybe they had a prescription for Percocet, and they decide to take some. Well, we can see withdrawal symptoms from that that are similar to using street drugs like heroin. Uh, so the... the, the uh what you're treating is a, is withdrawal is that or a, a addiction in newborns what what exactly are you treating when once the baby's born and there's been substance abuse yeah if we're talking about opioids for example so whether it's the prescription medication like percocets um, or if we're talking about methadone or subutex we're looking at a withdrawal symptom so that baby while they're inside of mom gets all of their nutrients and oxygen and then unfortunately the medication that comes over to the baby and the baby does develop a tolerance Um, Once that umbilical cord is cut, the baby is no longer receiving that medication. And so usually, and again, it depends on the type of medication, but usually in the first um, two to three days, we'll start to see withdrawal symptoms because their body had become very used to those opioids, and now they're not receiving it anymore. Do do we have any numbers on what the percentage of newborns um, are uh, suffering from withdrawal is? Do some... Are some born without any um, negative effects? There, So it, it depends on what mom is taking and how often she's taking it. And even when we have those numbers, it's still not an exact um, – an exact statement I can make. So because it depends on how mom processes the medication, and then it depends on how the baby processes the medication. So we could have a mom who maybe was on 120 milligrams of methadone, for example, and her baby has very little side effects or little withdrawal symptoms. Um, But a mom who was on 60 milligrams of methadone, her baby could have really severe signs of of withdrawal. Now, as a neonatologist, you're dealing with the child after it's born. I wonder if you could give us some information on what the effects of substance abuse has during of, during the pregnancy. Does it make the pregnancy more difficult? Does it make labor more difficult? What, what are the sort of negative effects in that regard? It, it So, again, it depends on what type of um, – you know, substances mom's using during her pregnancy. So if a mom, uh, you know, has an addiction to opioids, we really do and try to encourage them to get in, into some type of maintenance program so that she can be placed on methadone, she can be placed on um, Suboxone, and then that way the baby has a steady state. Um, while, while she's pregnant. While she's pregnant, yes. And it's just, it's important because we don't want these moms to go out and use and have the ups and the downs because right. that actually can lead to a higher incidence of stillbirth and miscarriages. All right. So in that context, you're dealing, we're dealing with two people who are 
in the grip of substance abuse. Absolutely. Connie Andrego, Dr. Connie Andrego is our guest. She is a practicing neonatologist and vice president of medical affairs of the on-site neonatal partners. Uh, we'll tell you more about the work they do straight ahead. This is Recovery Radio. We have more. Don't go away. Welcome back to Recovery Radio. Our guest uh, with us today is Dr. Connie Andrego. Connie's been with us before. Dr. Andrego is a uh, neonatologist, and she is here with us to discuss the the the. I would say a glimmer of good news. It's much more uh, the strides that have been made over the past 50 years with treating uh, babies born to moms who have been abusing substances, and, and they are in the grip of uh, of that drug as well. Some remarkable stuff is being done. So, uh, uh, Doc, tell us about the differences in treating uh, the newborn depending upon the substance that's been abused specifically. So depending on the type of substance mom is abusing, we may approach the the baby in a different way. Sometimes there's really nothing that we can do. So for example, a mother who is abusing cocaine, her child may end up with a stroke actually because of the cocaine use. And so in that case, we just provide supportive care for that baby and, and do the best that we can. Um, but for babies um, that are born to moms who use opioids, so methadone, suboxone, any prescription medications like Percocets, those babies will actually watch. And we, we have two major um, treatment methods. Number one, we always try to do just environmental support. So how can we dim the lights, you know, provide a quiet environment for that baby, swaddle the baby, and try to provide all of this developmental care for the child. And sometimes that's enough to treat the baby. Um, But then sometimes we actually have to give the baby medicine back. Morphine usually is the most common type just to help with their withdrawal symptoms if they're too severe. So so the environment is a a critical aspect of treating these babies? Absolutely. Um, We know that babies that can stay in a a private room can stay with their mother, which to me is probably one of the most important things, that that baby has that comfort and support and soothing from their their mother. Um, And the baby's wrapped tightly, soft voices around. Those babies tend to do a lot better. Keeping the babies with with the mothers, is that a relatively new – how was it handled – prior to these advances. Right. Prior to these advances, and and it's unfortunately sometimes happening in in some of our hospitals even still today, is that the baby has withdrawal symptoms and they say, you know what, we need to bring the baby over to our neonatal intensive care unit. But that child is in a room with lots of alarms going off because there's other sick infants in there. Um, And they're not staying with their mothers. They're constantly stimulating because the, the NICU sometimes can be a louder place. Um, so really what we're trying to do in a lot of our hospitals is to, to recognize that importance and, of the maternal support, and we're trying to keep those moms together with the, ba- with the babies. So, so not all babies born under these circumstances need to go into intensive care? No, not all of them do. Now, a lot of times we'll still see the baby show some signs of withdrawal. So maybe they'll have a a little bit trouble with feeding or they may be a little bit jittery. um, But it may not be severe enough that they actually need medication and and need to be in the the intensive care unit. Uh, Let's take a moment and talk about swaddling because that's fascinated me since my grandchildren were born. Because I don't recall uh, it being a major factor when my my kids were born i'm I'm sure they were swaddled but um that's a very that seems like a very um old kind of um method to do why why does that work Uh, it it seems so confining it almost seems like you're 
you know, holding the baby against its will. Why does that work? Right. Well, if you think about where the baby just spent nine months of their life, um, just inside of mom's tummy, um, they're nice and swaddled in there, and that's very soothing for them. So when they come out, um, if they don't have those boundaries and they're not, you know, swaddled and, and tucked in, it's actually, um, they're, they're very irritated. So the, the swaddling just really helps calm their nervous system down. Uh, you know, Bur- um I'm guessing here uh, that that we we're all born in a traumatic way. There's, there's, it is. You're right. You're leaving one environment and going into a very different uh, in, in environment. Um, what's going on with the baby who? So that's the general situation. What's going on with the baby who is suffering from uh, withdrawal symptoms in that context? Right. And so we, um, and this also actually is a more recent advance that we've understood how traumatic it was for babies. So we're after a baby's born, we like the babies to go skin to skin with mom where the baby's chest is up against mom's um, bare chest. And we know that's calming for the, the babies. Um, so we still try to do that for our babies with withdrawal, um, you know, even after they're born, even a couple of days, just to have, again, the mom and baby together, because that the child who's going through withdrawal, their nervous system is just really in, in high gear, and they're just, they're easily agitated, and they need to be calmed. Um, and so the best way to do that is to to be held by their mother, because that's where they, they need to be. It's an incredibly stressful period there for, for, for mom, for sure. And for the medical staff around, I guess I guess there's a lot of yelling, a lot of screaming. Uh, no, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. At, what, during a birth, the babies. No, I mean um, the babies oh, who the baby. are who are in you know stress because of the. Um, the withdrawal symptoms. Yes, 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 yes. So, um, so those babies who do go through withdrawal, one of the withdrawal symptoms is that they they cry a lot, and so these children can sometimes you know fall asleep for maybe thirty minutes, and then boom, they're up again, crying again. So it really we need all the help we can get when we're caring for these babies. So we we do have volunteers at our hospitals. They're volunteer cuddlers that they come in and they'll hold our withdrawal babies, you know, just to to help them, you know, to help the the staff because we do whatever we can to, you know for those kids volunteer cuddlers huh mm-hmm. you can Pe- do it too people <laughs> who people who are who say oh give me the screaming baby I'll, <laughs> I'll hold the screaming baby we have amazing people out there that will will come and and do that and it's and we're just so very thankful for them uh, we're going to take another uh, break here now. When we come back, I want to talk about medical uh, uh, medicine-assisted treatment, whether that's always the case. I mean, we know the stories about needing to withdraw uh, newborns from uh, from the substance that mom's been abusing. I want to find out if that's still always the case and how that works straight ahead. Our guest is Dr. Connie Andreco. We're talking about her specialty, which is neonatology, in the context of substance abuse during pregnancy. This is Recovery Radio. Don't go away. All right, we'll be back with uh, Dr. Andreco straight ahead here on Recovery Radio. I want to take a moment to um, remind, not remind people, but let you know that uh, Retreat, Premier Addiction Treatment Centers, are having a uh, community Q&A that'll take place in their uh, Lancaster outpatient facility. Actually, it's in Akron um, in Lancaster County. The Q&A is going to take place Thursday, January 24th, between 7 and 9 in the evening. And um, you're invited to join them. They're going to have a terrific panel. I know everybody that's going to be on this panel. I will be uh, moderating the panel. They're all experts in their field. You can come in and ask them any question you may have about uh, substance abuse, about protecting your child, about how to get help. Um, 
for substance abuse and, you know, what kind of treatment you might need. So that's uh, Thursday, January 24th in Akron at the retreat, Lancaster County Outpatient, 333 South 7th Street, Akron, PA. And again, the number you can call for any information about that or anything else for that matter is 855-859-8808. Hope to see you there. And if you come by, say hi. I'll be there. Dr. Connie Andrako is our uh, guest on the program today. We have spent the better part of uh, this month on Recovery Radio talking about uh, pregnancy and substance abuse. And now we're talking specifically about uh, treating uh, the newborn whose uh, mom has been abusing drugs. Um, let, let's talk. You've got to make some decisions when that baby is born about you know, what kind of care, what level of care, what's the best uh, method to deal with the crisis they are in. Tell us about how that used that, that assessment used to be done and, and some advances that are being made um, today. Sure. I think a lot of um, people, if you go into a hospital nowadays, you know, may still even find that the Finnegan scoring system is is used to assess that baby. Um, so this was a system that was developed by a neonatologist out of Philadelphia, and and she came up with a, a score um, to a to show that you know if a baby is sneezing frequently, um, maybe has some tremors, maybe is breathing fast. Uh, she developed a scoring system that you add up all the the score and you say, okay, if we're you know over an eight or over a twelve um, for a couple consecutive scores, that we need to actually start medication. Or it was another way to say if we're on medication and the baby's still scoring high, then we need to actually increase the medication. Or if the baby's scoring really low, we can start decreasing it. So we have used um, that scoring system for many years. Um, recently, there was a, a group um, out of Yale who came up with a system called Eat, Sleep, and Console. And this is an easier way to assess the baby. And basically, the scoring system says, you know what, if a child is having difficulty eating, um, is not having the ability to, to sleep for a period of time, or if the baby's having difficulty being consoled and quieted, um, at that point, we would actually initiate some treatment. Um, so it's, it's a different method of, of scoring these babies. Yeah, the, the, the Finnegan scoring system sounds like an, um, a work of art rather than science. Is that true? Um, I, it's, you know, it's a a good system because it actually identifies all the different withdrawal uh, symptoms. But in, in practice, sometimes, um, you know, one person may score the baby a little bit higher than somebody else. And then, you know, and then the question came up, well, if a baby sneezes, does that mean anything? Like, do we really need to give more medication so the baby's not sneezing quite as much? And so that's people are starting to rethink this a little bit differently. Yeah. Uh, sneezing. Why would that why would that have occurred to anyone to be a sign? Um, it, it, babies who go through um, opioid withdrawal actually have more frequent sneezing as one of the, the symptoms. It's really opioid withdrawal for our, our babies. We see um, neurologic signs. So that's the, the tremors that we see, for example, or a lot of signs with the gastrointestinal tract. So we'll see a lot of loose stools, for example, mm-hmm. or vomiting. Mm-hmm. What's the effect of when you said uh, difficulty eating? Um, do, do some of these babies have trouble 
being fed? Yeah, they actually do. So um, typically you would, you know, try to breastfeed a baby or put a, a bottle in the child's mouth and they usually just latch on and they're hungry and they eat. But for a child who's going through withdrawal symptoms, they actually appear very frantic and they're not coordinated. And so they're so uncoordinated that they can't get enough milk into their system. They, in that context of withdrawal, brand new, just been born, uh, that's the only thing that, that that newborn is dealing with, I can't even say thinking about, but dealing with is this, is this loss of the drug, right? Right, and we don't see it like immediately after birth because, right? Cause oh, is the that drug, right? right. So oh, because it's still in the system? The drug is still in the system. So if there was a mom, for example, who was using heroin, um, we would probably start seeing withdrawal symptoms maybe 12 hours after birth. But for a mom who's on a longer-acting opioid like methadone, for example, we may not see signs to two to three days after birth. And so typically and what mothers need to understand is that when they come into the hospital, the recommendation is that we watch these babies for five to seven days after birth to see if their child is having significant withdrawal symptoms that we need to start medication. So, um, so moms need to know that their babies are going to be in the hospital a little bit longer than a, a typical newborn. Yeah. Are, are, what's the effect on birth weight on, of these babies? Are they are they all born below optimum weight or? Um, no, some some are okay. Some are normal weight. Some can you know be below weight, or they can be born early because of of substance abuse. Um, but some are you know big chunky you know term babies. Um, you know, and then we just start to see, like I said, maybe on day two that they start to get a little jittery and maybe not coordinated with their feeds, and then we get concerned. Uh, Dr. Andrigo, you deal with the baby obviously after it, after it's born, so maybe you're not in the best position to answer this. But what can we tell about the shape they're going to be in when they're born, uh, while they're still being you know still be, being carried? So obstetricians will use ultrasound to actually measure the babies um, so they can, you know, so if they're following a pregnant mother, they're able to assess if the baby is growing appropriately. Um, so, But you can't see any uh, – ultrasound won't show you anything about what's going on with the baby and the substance. No. That's being abused. Unless there was some damage, for example, as I mentioned with cocaine, that the baby may have a, a stroke, they may be able to, to see that. But for the most part – um, we really don't know what, what's going to happen to the baby until after the baby is born. At that point, when you get involved, how often is uh, are, are medicines necessary to treat uh, the baby in withdrawal? And how, and how are they treated? Right. And, and that's a great question. So that honestly depends on um, a lot of these environmental factors. And so um, my, my practice is in, as I mentioned, it's in 17 hospitals right now, and, and I actually just looked at the data for our hospitals, and and we actually have a difference between some hospitals. Some um, emit a lot of babies, like up to three quarters of the babies, into NICU for medication, and then some, you know, it's maybe only 30 or 40 percent. Um, but when you start digging a little bit deeper, the the programs that have private rooms where moms and babies can stay together, their numbers are a lot lower. Um, so again, this is what we're trying to do, and this this is what we're doing actually up at Ephrata Community Hospital right now, um, where we're keeping moms and babies together so that we don't have to admit them into the, the NICU. Not all women have the opportunity to pick and choose, but if you do find yourself in a situation where you can make some decisions about where you want to have this baby, what kinds of things should moms uh, or, or dads um, be considering? 
Is that one of the things that they're going to keep the baby together and all that stuff? Right. Um, I've heard of some hospitals that once the baby's born and they, they separate mom and baby right away. And um, and thank you for saying dad, because dads are absolutely important in this whole process to, to be supportive, um, you know, with the with the mom and the, the baby. Um, so I would ask, you know, what happens to the baby right after birth? Does the baby get to stay with mom? Now, typically that mother is being discharged after two days if it was a, a vaginal delivery or three to four days after a C-section. Um, does that mom, can she stay for the full five to seven days with her baby? I think those are the important questions. And then if the baby does need treatment, is it possible for the mom to be able to stay with the baby in the hospital? Does substance abuse uh, have an impact on whether the baby will be born uh, vaginally or uh, needing a C-section? Is there any relationship there? Not usually. There's usually other um, obstetrical indications to say vaginal or C-section. Is there any impact depending upon how the baby is delivered on the baby? I mean, is it less traumatic if it's a C-section? Are the effects of substance abuse less if it's a C-section? Yeah. um, No, it doesn't. It really doesn't matter. Does substance abuse affect whether whether one will happen rather than the other. In other words, if you're abusing substances, are you more likely to deliver naturally or will you need an operation? Is there any Yeah, that's a great question. I guess we have, um, you know, abusing substances does and can impact the baby. So if it causes distress in the baby, then you're probably more likely to have a C-section because we want to get that baby out as soon as possible to help that child. Because the substance has made them less likely to be able to stand the normal rigors of being born, right? Right, right. Um, Tell us a little bit in a couple of minutes we have here in this segment with regard to when the baby's born and they're in withdrawal, and you do have to administer uh, medicines. What sort of medicines are you likely to use? Most hospitals will use morphine, which is another type of opioid for the baby. And so basically, we recognize that the baby's having withdrawal symptoms. So we have to give back to the baby what the baby is missing. So our goal is to give them some morphine to help stabilize those symptoms. And then once they're stabilized, then we start to slowly wean the baby off the medication. Um, Because remember, that baby was being exposed all the time when mom was using the substance during the pregnancy. And when you cut the umbilical cord, then all of a sudden it stopped. So what we're doing is we're giving back the medicine and then we're slowly weaning so that the baby can tolerate it better. And and, uh – how do you determine the amount of morphine you would give a, a newborn, and and what do you look what do you look for as you begin to pull back? So we have a, a pretty standard dose where we we start, and then we continue assessing. So whether people are using the Finnegan score or if they're using that new eat, sleep, and console method, um, that gives us an idea: does the baby need more medication, um, or is the baby comfortable eating, sleeping, easily consoled? That we can start backing off on the medicine, and typically we'll start we. We usually don't wean more than once a day on the the dose, and sometimes it's once every few days, depending on how the baby's tolerating everything. Yeah, since most of this is very, very new, uh, I don't know if there is a good answer to this, but I'll throw it out there anyway. Do do we have any idea of once that process is done, they've been given the medicine they need, the morphine or whatever, and weaned off of that? Once that process is done, do we know whether there's any craving after that? Or or was the baby only exposed to those drugs a short enough period of time where that craving mechanism didn't kick in? Do you ever have this experience where the baby is like okay for a while and then starts to react again? 
Um, usually once we get the symptoms under control and we wean off the medication and the baby's ready to go home from the hospital, we'll see that the baby still has some signs of withdrawal. So I don't know if we're able to say, gosh, that baby's still craving it, but we can say the baby's still experiencing the signs of withdrawal. Um, specifically, their muscle tone tends to be tighter for a period of time, um, or the baby could be, some Some may describe them as a little bit more irritable or cranky mm-hmm. um, you know, than a baby who didn't go through withdrawal. Uh, Dr. Connie Andreco is our is our guest. Uh, we're going to talk about post-hospital uh, care because it's very important as well as we continue discussing uh, pregnancy in the context of substance abuse and the treatment. This is Recovery Radio. Don't go away. Welcome back to Recovery Radio. I knew uh, inviting Dr. Connie Andreco uh, to uh, discuss uh, pregnancy and substance abuse is a good idea because of the first time she was on the program with us. Um, she is neonatologist and vice president of medical affairs on-site neonatal partners. That's a private physician practice that provides these services, these medical services for babies in uh, – what is it called, Nick? What's the neonatal intensive care unit? Neonatal intensive care unit or NICU. In uh, over over uh, twenty hospitals now in uh, in eight states. So am I to assume that not every hospital has a neonatal care unit, or do they all have them now? Not every hospital has a neonatal intensive care unit, and some hospitals have take care of different types of babies. So you might have a level two NICU that will take down to 32 weeks gestation, or you may have a level three that will take all gestational ages down to 22, 23 weeks. Um, let's talk about what happens after you've done your job and uh, mom. How, by the way, how uh, what's the length of stay for the for a baby in this situation? That's a great question, and and that depends on, really, I think, a lot of the environmental factors at hospitals. So um, a baby's average length of stay could be 10, 11 days, again, if moms and babies are staying together, um, or, and, and these are babies that are started on medication, um, you know, and then other hospitals, their length of stay may be more like 18, 19 days, and that's an average length of stay. Um, I know when I did my fellowship down at Thomas Jefferson, we would have some babies in our unit for up to three months. Really? Yes. Um, what, and what would contribute to that length of stay? Just the difficulty in getting them stabilized? The difficulty in getting them stabilized. Uh, mom tended to be on higher, much higher doses of methadone. Um, and then I think some of it was environmental because uh, environmental factors. They um, they started moving these babies upstairs to, to private rooms, and I do think that uh, that helps. But the other factor, too, is that some moms were actually abusing more than one uh, type of drug. Maybe they were on methadone, but they were using benzodiazepines. And so babies were having severe withdrawal symptoms from two medications, and that made it more difficult to control. Mm-hmm. In your experience, are, are moms uh, forthcoming uh, with their drug history in, in, in this situation? I would say most are, but there is some, I think, guilt there from the moms, and, and they just, you know, they know they shouldn't have been using, you know, the extra Xanax, but they, they did. Um, so, you know, we typically, a lot of hospitals will, will do um, urine toxicology screens, so we'll, we'll see that information. Oh, so yes, you're not taking anybody's word for any of this. People will lie to their doctors, which is kind of, uh, in, in, kind of an interesting uh, phenomenon. So, um, um, Dr. Andrego, after they leave the hospital, mom and the baby are now home. What needs to go on there? 
Right. I think the biggest thing that people need to understand is that once the baby leaves the hospital, it doesn't mean everything is over and is is done. Um, if a baby's in the hospital for that initial five to seven days and they don't need medication, they can go home, but the baby still may have signs of withdrawal. Um, and it could be maybe they're just crying a little bit more than, than usual and, and not as easily consolable. Um, if a baby's on medication, like I said, the same thing can happen. Maybe they have increased tone. So um, I think the biggest thing is to, to recognize that, I mean, any mom needs support, any family needs support. Um, but these babies that have gone through withdrawal, that family absolutely needs uh, more support. So for the times where the baby is difficult to console, it is just absolutely necessary to be able to hand that child off to somebody for that mom or that dad to go just take a break and, and just be quiet a little bit, you know, maybe get, you know, some rest. Um, and it's just really, it does take a village. What's the uh, recommendation for families in a situation like that with regard to determining whether the baby's just cranky, colicky, uh, or still in withdrawal? What do you, what are you, what are you telling them to look for? Right. Um, so we we won't send a baby home if we think that baby is, is still in withdrawal, that the child may need medication. Um, again, we, we have them go home once we, we feel like, you know, everything has run its course and, and the baby's going to be okay. Um, it, it's just we know that still there could be some minimal signs of withdrawal, but you, we have to use all those uh, developmental factors that we talked about. The baby should be in the, the dim lighting, you know, soft voices, swaddling the, the baby. All those things are important for them to, to do. But parents need to recognize that they still can be just a little bit more irritable than usual. What if mom is still on um – maintenance for her substance abuse, maybe it's methadone, maybe it's uh, Suboxone or whatever, and she's breastfeeding. Is there an effect on the baby? Could there be an effect on the baby? That's a great question. So we do encourage moms to continue breastfeeding if they're on the methadone or or Suboxone. So if they're in a a program, a treatment program, we absolutely encourage them to do that. The one warning that we do have is we don't want these moms to just stop breastfeeding abruptly. Um, if they decide that they don't want to breastfeed anymore, what we ask them to do is just to wean the baby off breastfeeding. So don't go one day all breast milk and the next day all formula. Um, maybe cut back and and do maybe feeding the baby six times, you know, with breast milk, you know, or um, maybe mixing, you know, half breast milk, half formula, and do it over a couple day period because the baby could actually have a little bit of of withdrawal from just abruptly stopping breastfeeding. Uh, Not an easy situation for anybody with a newborn made uh, even more uh, difficult or can be made more difficult when uh, substance abuse is an issue here. Uh, Dr. Andrego, thanks so much. This has been great. I I told you before when we began the discussion that in just uh, boning up on this a little bit, I was just stunned at how relatively new your field is and the just leaps uh, of uh, advancements that are being made. So there is, there is that you know, glimmer of uh, hope in a desperate situation. If you are abusing substances and you are pregnant, uh, stop doing that. Um, but uh, you'll be in good hands if you, get, if you get in front of the right people. And I think it's just a great time uh, during a mom's life, during a family's life to say, hey, we're going to h- hit the reset button and we're going to get things straight. Yeah, it can be a great motivator for um, for uh, substance abuse uh, recovery. Dr. Connie Andrego, thanks so much for joining. It's always a pleasure to see you and talk to you. Thank you so much. Hey, everybody. Uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, recovery Radio. We'll be back. Bye-bye. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management.